Why are your shoes back there? Is that where they are? Yeah. I was blaming you. I told your dad earlier, I was like, I think Dulce hid my shoes because she's always falling over them. I've literally, <laughs> I've literally been wearing my flip-flops all fucking day because I couldn't find my shoes. Which ones are they? The camo ones. <laughs> Not the pink camo, the other camo. The regular ones. Yeah. For fuck's sake. But you didn't even tell me anything. No, it was only this morning and then I kind of like just forgot about them. I was like, oh, well. Guess I'm not wearing shoes today. <laughs> you poor orphan boy have no shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back, creeps. Oh, we're recording. Yeah. <laughs> now we are, yeah. Oh, hello. Hello. Oh, hello there. Didn't see you. <laughs> I have a feeling that this week is going to be a long episode. Yeah. I might be wrong. So I might be cutting this out. <laughs> but basically, I didn't want to rush the ending of this hmm. because there's so much good stuff. Uh, I wanted to make sure to do it justice. We're still pontifracting it. We're still pontifracting it. Um, our patron of the week this week is... LaCroix. <laughs> the real MVP. <laughs> oh, for all of you wondering, vegan life is going good so far. We've, we're trying vegan for a week. And it's, it's bitching. It's bitching. The one thing I will say that is different is I don't feel like my blood is made of mud and molasses. <laughs> So for that, I am grateful. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to overload the podcast with vegan facts or anything like that. Nope. If you're interested in how our week is going, check out our video, which hopefully part one will be out now. Hey, if, if you want to learn about veganism or how I like to call it, veganosmo <laughs> or vegano, yeah. um, just Google it. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, our patron of the week this week is kdw as always katie thank you very much thanks katie this one's for you ah. <laughs> all right um, just for you that you remember that reminds me of a 40 year old virgin when uh when he helped he tells his co-workers that he's a virgin and he goes to work the next day and he thinks no one remembers but then when he turns the corner all the tvs that are in the stereo store are just uh close-ups of women uh, washing a car and then his co-workers like tells them just for you just for you when we go out waves of it waves of pussy is gonna keep becoming your way yeah we recently watched that and it's so fucking funny <laughs> i love that movie go fuck a goat man um <laughs> why you always gotta tell me to fuck a goat man <laughs> <laughs> all right i think we're just gonna get straight into this because it's girthy it's seven inches wide. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to buy Adam's grandpa a cowboy hat. Whose birthday is today as we're recording this, which is Wednesday, the 21st of July. Happy birthday, Papa, yeah, even though we know 75th, you're not listening. 75th birthday. <laughs> so, and his friends got him a bubble machine. <laughs> it's the best thing ever. So they're in the park drinking coffee with a bubble machine going. Yeah, because 
They used to meet up every week to go for beers at a local pub, but all the pubs are still closed in Ireland. So now they meet in a park and they drink coffee. Right. I think it sounds like a much nicer time. It does. It does, to be fair. Um, so we asked his mom to go measure grandpa's head. And she texted us back saying it was seven inches. (laughs) (laughs) Adam said, there's no way Grandpa's head is seven inches. And so she texts us back the proper measurements, which seemed more feasible, more plausible, rather. Mm -hmm. To which Adam's dad piped up and said, the seven inches is a cowboy hat for his prig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dad's always keeping it classy. Man. <laughs> All right. I'm going to get straight into this now. Now I'm going to get straight into this. Okay. <laughs> so this is part three of the Black Monk of Pontefract, I guess, series. Mm-hmm. If you haven't listened to the rest of them, I would definitely advise you to. There might be some references that get lost on you, but today we're going to be covering the history like pre-Pritchard family haunting. Okay. And I guess the present. Okay. So, starting way, way back. Actually, I'm not starting that far back. We're starting somewhere in the middle, and then we're going to go way, 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 way back. Like way back, though? Way back. So, construction started on the Checkerfield housing estate, or neighborhood, around 1950. It was built on top of a small hill overlooking Pontefract Castle. This land was a battleground and the site of at least three bloody clashes during the English Civil War between 1642 and 1651. Okay? Mm-hmm. So that's already, what, 400 years? Yeah. Like we mentioned in the last episode, there was a stream running below the entire estate and a well was also dug, potentially as far back as 1090 a thousand years ago, by monks or other residents of Pontefract Priory. Now, I don't know what other residents there would have been of a priory, mm-hmm. like, unless they just had laborers or, like, you know what I mean, like, just regular people in to, like, do their dirty work for them or something, like, dig wells <laughs> and shit. Yeah. Already we're seeing how far back this area is going. Anyway, like I said, a thousand years of pretty much well-documented living on this area, like, on this site. But the town of Pontefract itself actually dates back to Roman times. Hmm. Anyway, Henry VIII, I'm not going into all the history because I don't know it. Okay. Like, honestly. But Henry VIII did away with a lot of priories and monasteries and the like in the late 1500s. But the fact remains that monks lived here for over 500 years. Oh, right. Wasn't he a Protestant? Yeah, he was one or the other. I honestly, I always. I remember he was a Protestant because I remember. Uh, Mary, his daughter, was a Catholic, and when she reigned, she she killed a lot of Protestants that were safe under Henry VIII uh, because he was a Protestant. Okay, okay. Anyway, the fact remains that monks lived here for over five hundred years, and this is what seems to have driven the legend of the Black Monk. Uh-huh. Jean Pritchard, for those of you who don't know or don't remember, she was the mother of the family that we spoke about in the last two episodes. She said that a neighbor had found a book in the local library, which told of a Cluniac monk being hanged for the rape of a young girl in the late 1500s. Guess where? In the house. According to the old maps, 
the gallows were located roughly where the house was eventually oh. built. It's theorized that this monk would strangle young women after raping them and dump them in the well that we just mentioned. Damn. This, again, is just legend okay. and can't be proven. Uh-huh. There is another case where a vicar, what, like a written documented case, where a vicar was doing similar acts to this story. Not in this area, but around the time of Henry VIII's reign as well. Okay. So we don't know whether, you know, wires got crossed, Chinese whispers and all that. Mm. What does that mean? Chinese whispers? Never heard of that. No, like, it's a game that kids used to play, like, in school. Like, you would literally form a line. Oh, like telephone. Telephone, yeah, yeah. A game of telephone or anything like that. But either way, guess where the well was? This thousand-year-old well. In the area where the house is. So the last house to be built in the Checkerfield estate was 30 East Drive and 79 Checkerfield. These were attached to one another, right? It's a semi-detached house. The numbers were strange because one was the end house of one road and the other was the end house of another road. Oh, okay. Okay, so 79 Checkerfield and 30 East Drive. This well is perfectly in the middle of both of these houses. Still, to this day, it's below both of these houses. Half in 79, half in 30. Okay. This well has caused nothing but hassle for tenants of both houses because initially when it was built, the reason why these houses were the last two to be built uh-huh. was because the builders were like, how the fuck are we going to do this? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and like, th- this is the theory anyway. But when they did build it, they just left the well open. Okay, like they didn't put a cap on it, nothing. They just built the foundations up a little bit, floored over it. Mm -hmm. This caused major problems just purely from damp rising through the house. Okay. And eventually in, I think in the 70s, they had, the council came back, ripped up the floor in number 79, got under and put a proper cap on it. Mm. But still to this day, the place suffers with damp. Like like most fucking houses back then. like. Mm -hmm. Of this era. Mm-hmm. Suffers from damp. Suffers from damp. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first people to move into number 30 were Bill and Barbara Farrar. Farrar? <laughs> Farrar. What? That's unfortunate. <laughs> I'm probably saying it wrong. I think maybe Farrar. Farrar. Okay, that seems more. <laughs> F-A-R-R-A-R. You mean R? i'm not a pirate so bill and barbara (laughs) bill and barbara and their two-year-old daughter jane it was september 1954 and they had been on the waiting list to get housed for some time and when they finally got the call to move in they were naturally delighted Mm -hmm. this house was top of the range for its time it even had indoor toilets oh i love those yeah This was bougie, right? And Bill and Barbara had been living in Barbara's parents' house at the Mm -hmm. time, up until then. However, council houses back then, and I think a lot of them still to this day, came very much like bare bones, right? Meaning Bill and Barbara would have to install their own kitchen cabinets and anything like that. You know what I mean? It would have pipes, sinks, stuff, but anything else they had to provide. So Bill got to work doing all these things himself. Mm-hmm. And was plagued with minor annoyances. 
And damp. And damp. <laughs> Things just not being left the way he knew that he had left them, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like one example was he was building the cupboards in the kitchen and he got them ready, measured, double checked everything to go and fit the doors the next day. And when he comes back the next day, it's as if someone like pushed them. So they're all out of sync. And now he has to go and like rejig the whole thing to get the doors to fit on. Mm. And he was like, I fucking knew what I was doing. You know what I mean? <laughs> I didn't leave it like that. Then he was wallpapering and the wallpaper literally would not stay on the wall. He went back down to like the local hardware store, got every different type of paste thinking, oh, maybe this brand isn't good. That brand might be better, blah, blah, blah. Nothing. He would get it up. It would stay on the wall. And then as soon as he was finishing the next one, it's as if someone just pulled it down. Oh, that sucks. They also said that they could not heat up the house, no matter what they did. They couldn't even get hot water. And more than a few times, they had to call the council back out to fix it because they're like, this is a brand new house. Why is it so cold? We have a baby, blah, blah, blah. The plumbers that were sent out literally couldn't find anything wrong. They're like, Hmm. everything works. There is nothing not working. We can't understand this. I feel like I'm flying through this, but Bill and Barbara were also constantly blaming each other on like little things going missing. Cups of tea, Mm -hmm. like with tea still in them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just not being where they were put down. Mm-hmm. Tools going missing. Ornaments that uh, that Barbara had, like, arranged herself, like, you know, on the mantelpiece nicely. She'd come back and they'd be all still there, but arranged in a different way. Mm-hmm. And she'd be like, Bill, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I did that. Yeah. And he's like, I don't, didn't even know we had ornaments. Yeah. But almost as soon as they moved into the house, they noticed the change in their little girl, Jane. She'd gone from sleeping soundly all the time at Barbara's parents' house to waking up crying every single night in the new house. They eventually called the doctor over to check her out, but he couldn't find anything like out of the norm and suggested that Barbara just take her out more during the day, like go outside and try and tire her out. But he did say, it's like walking into a barn coming into this house. And I don't know what that means. They didn't explain what they thought it meant. Mm Mm-hmm. But the reason why they took note is because they said this dude was usually like, I think the words they used was tight lipped. Okay. And like he wasn't one for even just making regular conversation. Mm-hmm. So for him to come out and say like anything at all about anything was strange, let alone such an odd comment. First of all, I kind of want to Google to see what the hell that means. Yeah, I'm not really like, did it just mean it was like cold, you know? Well, no. Like the only reference to a barn that we would ever have is, you know, if you left the door open, mm-hmm. you'd say, were you born in the barn? Don't even yeah. know what that means because barns still have doors. Anyway, maybe, maybe he says it's maybe it means like it smells like it. Surely not. I, I don't know. Because of all the damp. <laughs> <laughs> it smells like hay and shit in here. Take your baby outside. Bill was a real, like real workhorse. Okay. He was a fireman and he had like multiple part-time jobs as well. Okay. But he said that Barbara didn't need any encouragement to be out and about. Usually while he was working, which seems like all the time, she would just like get the boat, get the bus to like local towns or sometimes get the long bus and go into like Leeds, which I don't know how far away that is, but like big cities and stuff. Mm-hmm. And she would literally just go and have her own little adventures. like. Sounds like a nice time. Yeah, it does. Her and the baby just go off into town for the day. 
That's sick. Yeah. Like in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean like that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> that's what uh, J.K. Rowling used to do. Yeah, right. And like pretty sure most people used to do that. You know what I mean? Like when me and my nanny used to go to like down to our local town, mm-hmm. it felt like we were there all day, even though it was like 10 minutes away on the bus. Like, but it literally felt like we were there for the entire day. That's so cute. You and your nanny. Absolutely. And your jam sandwiches. And our jam sandwiches, yeah. And regrets. Yeah. <laughs> Rograts, not regrets. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so she go off and have these adventures. But he also said they were typically very active together and like we'd go cycling in the countryside and stuff. But this all suddenly just seemed to stop. Like right after they moved into the to 30 East Drive. Oh. She did start taking Jane over to her mother's house, like, more and more often, and would stay there late into the evening. Sometimes she'd just stay there for the night. And mm. I don't think they had phones or anything back then. So Bill would come back to the house, and it would just be empty, and he'd be like, oh, I guess she's staying at her mom's again. And she'd come up with, like, some little excuse, like, oh, I had to put the baby down earlier. So You know what I mean? Yeah. But she just, like, in hindsight, she just did not seem happy being in that house yeah that makes sense at all she also started needing to sleep with the light on or at least she would tell bill to at least open the bedroom curtains because they had street lamps right outside so like let the light in from mm-hmm. the street lamp this was a first for her she was never afraid of the dark before but literally for the rest of her life she would sleep with the light on huh yeah that's your life right now a little bit, yeah. We settled for the little salt lamp, which isn't so bad. Jane started waking up with little scratches on her face. The baby. Yeah, yeah. And even like little bits of dried blood. Like, so it wasn't even just like a little... A little you know, scratch. Nick or a scratch. They didn't put little baby mittens on her? So they did um, put them on while she slept. And I thought like this was pretty standard for newborns. But then I remembered that Jane is almost three. Oh, shit. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, in my head, I was picturing, you know, tiny little baby with the little mittens on. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> little socks. Yeah. But... Socks for your hands. <laughs> little balled up hands. But no, so she was like almost three at this point. And either way, the scratches kept appearing even after they were using the mittens. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> so soon enough... Barbara was pregnant again with their second child, Mm -hmm. Gillian. Unlike her first pregnancy, Barbara really struggled this time around with, I don't think it was any specific thing, but so many medical issues that eventually it became like a high-risk pregnancy. Uh Yeah, now they didn't go into detail as to what that was, but she would need weekly injections. And the doctor, the barn guy, Uh he flat out refused to ever go back to the house weird yeah how random but he literally made barbara go to the clinic every single week to get these injections no matter how pregnant how sick she was and i don't think they had cars around like you know yeah bill said the house was just sort of unnerving like yeah it had a lot of odd noises but they just brushed them off as you know usual oh it's the house settling or the heating's coming on or whatever Mm -hmm. but occasionally they would hear a voice or something And what they said specifically was like an odd echo. Again, they didn't say anything more about it, but I feel like maybe they just blamed it on someone walking down the street in front of the house or maybe the neighbors or something. Mm -hmm. 
The one room that Barbara would not go into was the cold room. She literally refused to get cold. So I think she would rather oh, sit there. Oh, the cold room. Cold, okay, yeah, not it. cold. But I think she would rather sit there and just like let the fire die out than go in and get cold. Yeah. And they also mentioned that, I don't know if I, yeah, I didn't mention this down further, but they also mentioned that the room that they had initially done up for one of the children, I can't remember which, which would eventually become Diane's room. Uh-huh. They just never felt right in there. And I think they had done it up for the newborn, Gillian, mm-hmm. but she never, they never actually let her sleep in there. It just felt gloomy and stuff, you know? What's so strange is that, like, I can't grasp the concept of living in a house and refusing to go into a certain room just because it doesn't feel right. I know, but I feel like if, like, touch wood, we never have to experience it. Yeah. I feel like if we did, then we would completely agree and understand with whatever these people were going through. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, um, yeah. I mean, And as well, this is government housing, so it's not even like, a choice. Yeah, it's not like they even, um, like, oh, all our money is in this. Yeah. But we could always sell it and move on. With this, is like we would need to either find somebody who is willing to do a swap. Yeah. Or go back on the housing list and wait years and years. That's true. I, like, I'm pretty sure they had been waiting already four years or something at this stage just to get this house. That was how long the delay was. That's a long ass time. Yeah, because and I didn't put this in the notes because it's like this book is so fucking detailed. But Bill had actually served during World War Two with the army uh-huh. and he came back. And although he didn't have a lot of money, he was a good skilled workman. Mm-hmm. But this housing estate was specifically built to help with all these troops that were suddenly coming back of house owning age oh okay you know they couldn't keep up with the housing demand at the time yeah and this housing estate was the biggest in europe mm-hmm. at that stage but it was it took four years to finally finish yeah and they got the last house okay. i don't know if that means they were housed last but anyway so it's not really important to the story but there's the background that and they are the kind of details that i really like <laughs> yeah so also they had in their couch suddenly the material just started to rip but like very precise like they had been purposefully done and they're definitely not wear and tear i mean like this stuff is new yeah and it basically looked like a knife had just like ripped through the fucking couch okay and eventually this even happened on jane's toy pram or stroller Mm -hmm. like the hood of it was just completely ripped Mm -hmm. like one slash down the middle of it yeah Again, not wear and tear, and they would just seemingly appear out of nowhere. It's not like anybody heard it happen or saw anything, just happened. The side gate for the house mm-hmm. would not stay closed, right? no matter what. And like this, this is definitely just a random little list of things. But Bill would literally wedge this gate shut with bricks and come back out like an hour later and the fucking thing would be swinging. Yeah. And the bricks would be just moved. It's not like they fell or anything. They, they were moved. moved. Another thing that was strange about the outside of the house was Bill couldn't get anything to grow in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Backyard. Back, <laughs> <laughs> back garden. All right. Even though he had been brought up helping his dad grow all the family vegetables and stuff. So he knows how. He knew what he was fucking doing. 
Yeah. And he said nothing, like no flowers, no vegetables, nothing. nothing. Happened. And even today, it's the same. They cannot get anything to grow in this fucking garden. One morning in the spring of 1955, around six months or so after they moved in, mm-hmm. Bill came home from a night shift and Barbara greeted him with, we're moving house. <laughs> Just like that. Just like that. She had already been to the council with her mother. Oh, they good. had signed all the paperwork. They had literally done everything that needed to be do. Dude. Everything that needed to be done to have been done. Yeah. In order to move house. That so day. It, within the last couple of days, anyway, while Bill had been out of the house, this was all hush hush. Ah. Bill knew nothing about it. He just got home this morning after doing a fucking night shift for the fire yeah. station. And we're moving house. All right, cool. So, luckily enough, they had met another family who were unhappy at their living situation. And this family agreed to switch with them. The reason why they had agreed to switch is because there was actually a little girl ghost in this family's home. In this other family's home. In this other family's home. And Barbara was happy enough to take her chances with the little girl. (laughs) Damn. So that other family was the Pritchards. Barbara and Jane had bumped into each other down the local town mm-hmm. that week or the week before. And I guess they just got talking. And like this whole area is renowned for crazy activity. It's all, oh, well, my granny's house, you know, had this and mm-hmm. that happened in this house just over here. So, yeah, I, I don't know how the conversation transpired or anything like that, but it came up that Jean was freaked out by this little girl ghost. Barbara couldn't put her finger on it. Bill said he doesn't know if anything specifically happened to her while she was there, other than all of these kind of small things put together. But either way, that was it. The Pritchard family moved in and Bill and Barbara moved out. I don't know if they had any experiences with the little girl in their new house or anything, but the Pritchards moved into 30 East Drive in around May of 1955. And their whole ordeal didn't even begin until August 1966. Which means I think I might have said this. I think I might have been wrong in the first episode. Mm-hmm. Where, because from what I could gather, as I was initially reading about this, I thought they had maybe only moved in not that long ago. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. They had been there 11 years. Yeah. And it is pointed out in both books that we don't know if there was any warning signs or anything like that that they picked up on but maybe they were just not that aware of it you know what i mean could be yeah so that's the story up until the preachers move in okay i'm going to talk about some theories right now all right and then we're going to go back into more modern stuff so we've all heard the theory that poltergeists are like a direct manifestation of one's subconscious or emotions essentially (laughs) telekinesis kyle According to New Scientist, quote, children generate poltergeist activity by channeling energy into quantum mechanical vacuum. Now, (laughs) I would have to agree. I don't exactly know what it means, but I think in layman's terms, they're saying the energy is there. Mm -hmm. We don't know how to manipulate it or Mm -hmm. how it is manipulated. But for some reason, children and adolescents are more capable of utilizing this energy or power or whatever than adults. They're still doing it 
like unconsciously mm-hmm. or subconsciously, but they do it. Now, this theory definitely checks a few boxes in the 30 East Drive case. And the first guy who actually did research, Tom Cuniff, ultimately said that Philip was to blame for that very first episode. So remember when his parents were away and he stayed back with his grandmother, Granny Scholes? Philip was 16 when this happened. Mm -hmm. And just a quick recap, out of nowhere, 11 years after he'd been living there, this weird dust just materialized in the sitting room. Shit started moving. The tea machine was going ham. Oh, yeah, like it it was snowing inside. Yeah, and like all these random puddles of water were just appearing. Like I said, Philip was 16, and apparently his relationship with his dad, Joe, was not exactly like ideal. I think it was a very typical, no bullshit, older dude from back then and his teenage son who wasn't into sports and would prefer to stay home reading and listening to music. Mm Mm-hmm. One of our friends, again, by the sound of like our kind of people. Possibly the real reason he had decided not to go on holiday with the rest of the family is because him and his dad had had an argument and just he didn't want to be around them. I don't know whether anybody ever mentioned this to the author or whether they just completely said this could have happened. Yeah. Anyway, so Fred's first appearance was an unconscious expression of Philip's resentment to his father. This is according to Tom Cuniff's theory. And then the next time Fred shows up is when Diane is of like prime age for poltergeist activity. Hmm. And again, for this, this theory checks out. But that doesn't make sense with the Farrar's story. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't. Because you have babies. Exactly, yeah. So Colin Wilson, author of Poltergeist, a classic study in destructive hauntings, (laughs) which is one of two main sources that I have used for this little series. He admits that this was generally his view when it came to poltergeists. He actually called it RSPK or recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis. Okay. At the time, 1980, this was the belief of most people in this line of work. And again, I will say like this guy was like in the midst of, you know, we're sitting here, we're basically armchair fucking ghost hunters. We're like, oh, well, I remember this case and this happened, blah, blah, blah. But this guy was going out of his way to go to conferences. He was reading books. He was going to places to experience what other people were going through. And they were, you know, still very much trying to analyze everything as scientifically as possible. Now I feel like we have a lot of, it's a demon, get out of it. Or that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There seems to be a lot of nothing in between. Whereas back then, I feel like people were really trying to come to terms with what this activity could have been. Mm -hmm. So when he was driving to Pontefract in August of 1980 to meet with the Pritchards specifically for his book, he stopped at a conference in Derbyshire and met a chap called Guy Playfair. And the two of them had spoke of what Wilson referred to as the flying cow. Uh, that a poltergeist is basically a mischievous and disembodied spirit. I guess Flying Cow is just a cute nickname that they came up for it. But Guy gave him this new uh, explanation. For Flying Cow? Uh, Not necessarily for Flying Cow. Well, yeah, I guess, actually, yeah, for Flying Cow. (laughs) (laughs) 
So this explanation is as close to my own understanding of the term poltergeist, or what I would expect from a poltergeist, only he actually managed to put it into words, unlike me, who fucking stumbles and mumbles over everything. And he said, quote, It's kind of a football. A football of energy. It somehow gets exuded from disturbed teenagers at puberty. Along come two or three spirits or elementals. Look through this window and see the football lying around. They do what any group of schoolboys would do. They go in, they kick it around, smashing windows and generally creating havoc. Then, as often as not, they get tired and leave it. In fact, the football usually explodes. Oddly enough, it turns into water. Now that kind of, that last sentence is Mm -hmm. like, what? Like what sort of weird metaphor is that? But then quite literally, I'm about to get into it right here. I do still believe that this is not limited to like pubescent teens. Mm -hmm. But it is typically a lot more common when there's a bunch of hormones present. This theory works particularly well with this story, especially with regards to the water left behind once the ball explodes. Mm -hmm. Because it's taken literally in this particular case, the ball was a metaphor, the water was not. Remember the first time Fred showed up and they had a problem with all the puddles of water? Yeah. That were perfectly placed on the lino, Mm -hmm. or at least it seemed that way. And then towards the end of the activity, when he was seemingly at his strongest, he left the carpet in the hallway soaking wet with big, huge footprints. Okay, that, that was one morning Jean came down the stairs and the hall carpet was soaked wet with these gigantic footprints. Okay. But this seemed to happen at the very end of the first mini episode in 1966 mm-hmm. and then towards the end of the nine months in 1968. And then Fred just disappeared mm-hmm. very shortly after that. This theory is also pretty fitting for one-off, unexplained activity, which I would love to know of more examples of this, like how many people have been sitting in their house and had something unexplainable happen just once uh, in a seemingly unhaunted house. Like maybe you grew up in this house, nothing weird ever happened, but you remember that time, I don't know, like fucking a plate rolled across the floor or like, remember I told you that one weird time I was lying in bed reading and I heard somebody sigh in the bathroom behind me. Mm-hmm. Like, totally one off. Nothing else had ever happened before or after that. So why then? And this theory kind of fits. Like, maybe something just happened to be passing by. There was enough energy collected in this particular spot. Yeah. And it used it. I was like, oh, that looks like fun. Let's go scare the shit out of this person real quick. And then I'll be on my merry way. Yeah, possible. Or just dissipate into nothingness or whatever it is that happens. Colin Wilson, again, the author, he talks about one such event in his book. It was 1960 and my family, my father, mother and 13-year-old sister had moved to Cornwall to live with us. One bright sunny morning, I was awakened by a loud repeated banging sound. It sounded like someone hammering on something made of metal with slow, steady blows. It so happened that two friends were sleeping up in the attic. My first thought was that one of their beds had collapsed and someone was hammering at the bed bed frame to try and get it apart in order to reassemble it. I got out of bed, went to the foot of the stairs and called, What's going on up there? All was silent. I went upstairs and saw both friends were fast asleep. I peeped into my sister's bedroom. She was asleep. 
that the sounds now seemed to be coming from outside the house, perhaps on the roof. I went downstairs and outside. It was a very still, sunny morning, about 5am, and the sounds were undoubtedly coming from our house, which stands alone in the middle of a field, and not from some neighbouring house. I walked all the way around the house, but could not locate the noise. It seemed to be coming from overhead. The obvious suspicion that it was something to do with the hot water system, which sometimes knocks as it heats up, was dismissed when I saw that the sounds were not coming from any of the hot water pipes. During all this time the sounds went on, loud, clear, metallic bangs, exactly like somebody hammering on an iron bedstead with a hammer. My father was awake by this time, and we both walked around the house again. Then, as it was impossible to locate it, we went back to bed. Ten minutes later, the noise stopped. About an hour later, it started up again briefly, for perhaps a dozen bangs. Then it stopped, and we have not heard it since. I assumed that the sounds were somehow connected with my sister, who was not particularly happy about being dragged away from her own hometown, Leicester, to live in the country. That is a fucking weird story. Yeah. Like, no matter what way you look at it, like, do you remember that time the sky was banging? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> One more thing I want to mention before we go back to 30 East Drive is the power of suggestion. Going way back to the first night of disturbances, remember Vic? Yeah. <laughs> Vic and Marie brought their ghosty friend to the house and nothing happened, but just before he left, he mentioned that typical behavior of a poltergeist usually consists of breaking pictures or destroying photos. And then, just as they were locking the door, suddenly these pictures wound up on the living room floor, glass broken and slashed and everything. On another occasion, a group of local councillors, local government folk like, had come to see what they could see in the house basically joe pritchard's mother was pontefract's first lady mayor at the time so they had all come over just to be base or just to be nosy basically as they were leaving one of them mentioned that they were surprised that the grandmother clock at the top of the stairs on the landing was still intact half an hour later the clock was lying in pieces at the bottom of the stairs thankfully no one was hurt so i looked into it a grandmother clock i think is any sort of clock between six foot two inches and five feet tall that's a big ass clock that's still. a big ass clock but a grandfather clock is anything above six three or something like Jesus that Christ. yeah but either way this is a big ass clock just got fucked down the stairs yeah the upside down crosses that were painted on the walls remember they were spray painted in gold or seemed yeah. spray painted they only showed up after vic had performed his little exorcism presumably He had been speaking about what, quote, evil spirits or demons would typically do. And of course, Fred followed suit. Even the monk's first appearance. It's not known whether the neighbor with the story came to the house before or after Fred showed himself. Remember, it was a neighbor who found the passage in a local book or in a book in the local library. And he said, it must be the monk that was hanged near this land and the well is underneath the house. But, but Wilson seems to think it's safe enough to assume that Fred was basically listening into this conversation mm-hmm. and then later took this form of the monk. It sounds, it's madness, but when you hear all this, all of these occurrences all together, it makes perfect sense. And now I'd be inclined to believe it as well. 
just because it feels like if somebody was to sit in the house now and go, can you imagine if Fred was an orange and then all of a sudden an orange would appear? <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean, that's almost the gist of it. And even in the like the manifestation of the fucking floating eggs remember the scent bombs. Yeah, it was almost like I don't know why that started. But in my head now, after reading this, I would imagine Jean or someone said, oh, look, I've just bought these brand new eggs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we'll have that for dinner or lunch or do something with it. Mm-hmm. And then out of pure dickheadedness. Jackassery. Jackassery. Fred decides, oh, you want them for lunch, do you? Mm-hmm. Does what he does. Yeah. In 2012, a movie called When the Lights Went Out was released. It was written and directed by Pat Holden and produced by Bill Bungay. Strange name. You're going to be hearing a lot more of that name. So Pat was born in 1966. So he was a baby when all this activity was going on in 30 East Drive. Mm-hmm. But his mother was very close friends with Jean Pritchard. His uncle actually married one of Jean's sisters. Okay. So he grew up calling Jean auntie, even though technically she wasn't actually his auntie. Yeah. And he also never had any experiences in the house himself. Okay. But even though he was too young to have experienced anything, he grew up hearing all these stories and like all the older kids telling stories and his mom and dad or whatever. And he was obsessed. Like he literally went on to write a movie, write and direct a movie about the Pritchards and the house. Do you think he talked about it while he was in bed with his wife? Uh, Definitely. This literally (laughs) was his livelihood. So in the movie, I think they changed the Pritchard's names to like the Maynards or something. The Fritchards. Yeah. (laughs) They also filmed it on a set. But because he was so familiar with the house growing up, like he made the set look as close to the house as he physically fucking could. Mm -hmm. Because as far as they were aware, Gene was still living in 30 East Drive and they didn't want to hassle her. Be like, oh, hey, can we move you out and like take a fucking film crew in? But after the film had already been made, Bill Bungay, the producer, was trying to come up with a unique advertising campaign. He, his background was in marketing and he was like, I can do this. But he ended up visiting a friend who lived in Pontefract. I don't even think it was for anything. He just happened to be going there. But naturally, when he got there, he took a lift to the actual house just to see it from the outside. And when he got there, he found there was a for sale sign outside. Oh. Jean had moved herself to a retirement home around four years earlier. That might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was around four years earlier. But like they couldn't sell the fucking house. Yeah. Because every single person in the whole area. Knew about it. Yeah. Knew its reputation. Bill, a hard skeptic. Now, we love our erect skeptics here. Yeah. Bill Bunke? Yeah. Okay. He was like, perfect. I'm going to buy it for the premiere. Okay. Or premiere of the movie. So he bought it as soon as he could and held the official premiere of When the Lights Went Out in the living room. The film? They held competitions and two lucky winners were able to join in. Oh, what? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. As a part of their prize, they were given little boxes with crucifixes, communion (laughs) wine, holy water, and some garlic for protection. That's great. Yeah. They were like, here you go, kids, go pontefracting around. Yeah. So, again, Bill is very skeptical. Even, like, 
this was purely just smart business for him. Mm-hmm. He thought, what an interesting place to have a fucking premiere for the movie. So nothing happened at all. So Bill wasn't swayed one way or another. But he was introduced to his neighbor, Carol. Mm-hmm. At some point over the years, Carol moved into Mrs. Mountain's house. Remember Mrs. Mountain? Yes. Who had had a few interesting, Mrs. Mountain had had a few interesting things happen while living there. Like, it just seemed that the activity was more concentrated on the other side of her wall, basically. Mm -hmm. Carol also just so happens to be a medium herself. Mm -hmm. Her first interaction with Bill, before he could even say hello, was, he's here right now. And he's giving you a year to get out. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Gordy. Hi, I'm Bill. And you are Carol. I'm your neighbor. Your tenant is over there. And who might that be? The Black Monk. Right. And he's here right now, is he? Yes. He stood at the bottom of the stairs watching. This went on. Love it. But Bill didn't believe a fucking word of it. He had no intention of living there. He was purely using it for the advertising and then he was gonna fix it up and sell it on he being the skeptic believed that the real reason why it hadn't sold was the fact that it still looked more or less the same way as it had in the 70s i guess gene and joe just never really updated it yeah like no no no, they were very anytime fred caused any sort of damage because there was plenty of holes in walls and the ceiling, like, Diane's bed was thrown at the ceiling so many times that the ceiling was broken and had to be repaired. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so... Jesus. But I think any time this happened, they would fix it almost straight away. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mrs. Mountain didn't. I think she was just an older lady and probably didn't have the money. Mm-hmm. But even though it might have been old-fashioned, it was kept very well. Remember how neat and tidy Jean oh, was? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I'm not sure if Jean is still alive or not, but I wouldn't want anybody talking shit about her cleanliness. <laughs> Seems like a darling of a lady. Carol went on to explain that the resident ghost didn't allow himself to be limited by something as mundane as a brick wall. Fred liked to make his presence known in Carol's own house when he wasn't stomping around empty number 30. She would lay in bed at night and hear bangs, crashes, voices and heavy footsteps coming from the house next door. After discovering that Jean had moved out, and out of respect for what had been Jean's home for over half a century, Carol felt a responsibility to keep an eye on the place. At first, she had thought that the empty house was being broken into, but whenever she went to carefully inspect the front, side, and back doors, and all the windows, everything was always locked and secure, the lights were off, and no, quote, flesh and blood visitors could be seen through the curtainless windows. Bill hears all this from Carol and he's like, all right, weirdo. (laughs) But while at the premiere, like this is all on this one night, Mm -hmm. Bill's there with the two stars of the movie and he hands his iPhone to someone else to take a photo of him with the two actors. But as this person went to take the picture, the phone died. It went from 75% to dead, just like that. The person taking the picture didn't even get a chance to take the picture. He had gone through his photo gallery and stuff like that. And he was like, ah, like, you know, fuck it. What a shame. 
And in the book, he was like, I just guess I'll just blame Steve Jobs. <laughs> but a few weeks later, this blurry picture showed up on his phone's home screen. Right. So I think it was set as a screensaver. Yeah. Like a background because it's an iPhone. And I'm pretty sure I might be wrong, but like certainly not in 2012. Could you save random pictures to your home screen? Yeah. And it still wasn't in his gallery or anything. Weird. Yeah. Something just made it his background or something. Weird. Yeah. Right. So either way, Bill literally didn't even connect the dots. He was just like, what an odd glitch. Yeah. And also all of the pictures are in the book. They, they did it really well. It's a QR system. So you didn't have to print the pictures. You just oh, use good. your phone. Yeah. So I have like about fucking 60 pictures in my browser on my phone. Mm. But I think what we're going to have to do is maybe for a Patreon episode, we can each go through every picture from the book oh, cool. or a lot of them because there is so much stuff. Yes. I literally couldn't get it all in here. A million times. Yes. The house seems to have had a steady flow of filmmakers and ghost hunters ever since Bill bought the place. Mm hmm. But one of the first crews to come into the house were from Bing, you know, that other search engine. Yeah. Not Google. They wanted to make a short five or six minute documentary about the house. I'm pretty sure I've seen it and I'm pretty sure it was really bad. They stayed there for one whole night and then worked really late into the following night before they left. Mm -hmm. Not a whole lot happened. One of the crew suffered from some pretty bad sleep paralysis in Diane's room. Which they kind of pinned on just being a nightmare, but it was worthy to mention because this girl like said, oh yeah, yeah I used to suffer from nightmares all the time when I was three. Yeah. <laughs> and then went like 30 years and now all of a sudden this one night in this one bedroom. But she could have just been freaking herself out. So we're not putting that down as paranormal or I'm not anyway. But the kettle kept turning on all by itself. This is... Was, just mostly an annoyance but it could get pretty dangerous and so i guess they'd be upstairs trying to film something and then all of a sudden they would hear the bubbling and the clicking of the kettle going off downstairs be like who the fuck did it now yeah and then eventually they realized hold on this is happening constantly so now the rule in the house still to this day is unplug the kettle because mm. they're afraid that it's going to start a fire i guess yeah but yeah like i said nothing mental really went on but when it came time to go one of the producers couldn't find his keys anywhere. He literally couldn't leave because I'm assuming his car keys are on here and he had driven from London and his house keys and shit were in there. Yeah. So he went nuts trying to fucking find it and they looked everywhere. Eventually, they found them inside a 1970s era vacuum cleaner. Bill had bought it purely to decorate the house just to keep the 70s feel. Mm -hmm. It didn't work. It wasn't even plugged in. Yeah. And yet these keys ended up in the belly of it. How the fuck did they think to look in there? That's my next point. I don't oh. know who thought to look inside <laughs> this fucking thing. But um, I guess like when you've literally checked everywhere in the fucking house. So anyway, after the crew left that night, well, I guess that morning, it was around 2 a.m. Bill was getting ready to head out. He had two people helping him get the house back in order. Mm -hmm. And... Funnily enough, the two people were upstairs in one of the bedrooms trying to put a lampshade back on in the dark. <laughs> like, and they were pretty freaked out. Yeah. I guess they were skeptic, but 
the place just had such a name that they were like trying to get out as quick as possible. Yeah. Bill again wasn't affected by this house at all. He was just like, yeah, fucking whatever. Just do your work. But he's throwing out some rubbish. And while he's out there, he goes to close the gates to the driveway. He drops the bar into the cement hole, made sure both sides were locked, and then grabbed a big heavy cement block and put it up against the back of the gate just to make sure that nobody was opening Mm because the house is being left alone, you know? As he walked away, job done, his two helpers come out of the house to let him know that they're ready to leave. Okay. And Bill was kind of laughing to himself because they were really like skittish. And Bill said, right, I'll just go lock the front door. And as he was saying this, he looked over at the gate and it's wide open. Mm. Nobody around. Again, two o'clock in the morning. It's quiet. It's a clear evening. You can see up and down either side of the road. Yeah. Nobody saw it and nobody heard it. So this big heavy cement block. Just moved. Just moved. Yeah. No sound. And like even the hinges and shit. You know what I mean? And this was the moment that Bill finally started to believe all the stories Uh, it kind of was just like oh fuck like what have i been messing with this was the first time he literally had no explanation for what happened the two people he had watched them come out of the house Mm -hmm. and the thing that trips me out is that neither of them noticed surely as they were talking bill was here and they were facing the gate yeah but anyway i don't know nobody fucking noticed what happened the next morning the house keys were just gone and this was just an annoying thing for Bill. He's like, for fuck's sake, now I have to go and call the locksmith. And he comes out. Carol came over at the kind of, I don't think she was poking fun at him, but she was definitely, I told you so. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, Gordon Mack, hardcore skeptic, founder of Kiss FM, and I guess a friend of Bill. So I guess Kiss FM was a big radio station. I honestly don't know. But he agreed to run a promotion on his new web, on his new radio station, My Soul. The prize was to join Gordon and his wife for a night at number 30. Mm. The first person to win just didn't claim the prize. (laughs) (laughs) And they had to do the draw again, like 10 days out from the saying over. Deborah, Gordon's wife, actually wrote her own account of what went on that night. It all started at the London Leicester Square film premiere of When the Lights Went Out. So they had the official one in the house, but they had like a more red carpet kind of thing in Leicester Square. Okay. The producer, Bill Bungay, is a friend. And when we found out what the film was about, we just couldn't resist. Having a drink in the bar afterwards, I mentioned to Bill how cool it would be to stay in the house and experience it firsthand, only to get the reply, you can. I've bought it. Uh. <laughs> it was at that point I realized that my flyaway comment had to be executed through to the end. Boom. Sadly, 10 days before the trip, our winner vanished. Never to be heard from again. Can't see why. We picked a runner-up called Delia, who brought along her friend Lucy for the ride. The anticipation of what may unfold made for a nervous ride up the M1. We realized that we had all packed poltergeist fighting equipment such as salt sage crucifixes and garlic (laughs) all the while my husband and our driver gordon chuckled to himself in disbelief and slight embarrassment on arrival we met the lovely neighbors carol and darren who did a very good job of near enough freaking us out darren who has lived next door all his life 
and his partner Carol, a spiritualist medium, live on a daily basis with what we had come up to experience. They gave us a guided tour of 30 East Drive and told us some of the history of the Black Monk of Pontefract, including some of the things that they had both personally witnessed. We started the tour in the living room. The furniture and carpets were a moment frozen in time, adding to the authenticity of the whole experience. Carol led us to the hall by torchlight, only to drop the bombshell that the monk was standing on the stairs, but it's okay. <laughs> I don't know why, because you're actually all going to hear Carol later, but anyway. We love this, Carol. Yeah. I quickly asked if we could wait until he moved, but we didn't have a choice in the matter. Up the stairs we marched, straight to the bedroom of the young girl who was tormented by the spirits. We huddled, embarrassingly, like sheep in one corner of Diane Pritchard's old bedroom, and as if that wasn't bad enough, Carol showed us the dents in the ceiling where the bed had been flipped up vertically, throwing Diane off. We speedily moved on to Joe and Jean's old bedroom, where we were introduced to a long light cord that allegedly strangles people, not to mention the wardrobe that has drawers that open and close of their own accord. We moved swiftly on. The third bedroom, Philip's old bedroom, was thankfully not as disturbing as the first two. But then we were led to the bathroom. Carol, who allegedly feels quite at ease with ghosts, wouldn't enter for all the money in the world. If anyone didn't feel uneasy before this, they did now. It was explained to us that it's the most active room in the house as it's a portal to the spirit world. The bathroom, that is. After a blessing, only Gordon and I ventured in to have a look. We then returned to the living room, and while they were settling us in, an inexplicable thing happened. A penny miraculously dropped from what seemed to be the window ledge, bounced off the radiator, and rolled under a table. We all heard it, and out of the corner of our eyes, saw it. So, this is like a quite a long thing that she wrote account but basically after this after carol and darren went home they all sat in the living room watched the movie together Mm -hmm. and then they were supposed to go spend the night upstairs but they were all too freaked out yeah so they all slept together in the living room all clothes on even their shoes they were like literally ready to fucking bounce Bounce. Yeah. yeah but nothing crazy happened they were just all really on edge I woke feeling stiff, but surprisingly fresh, considering the circumstances. We broke open the croissants, brewed mugs of tea, and caught up on the events of the night. Delia began by revealing that she had heard numerous knocks and noises coming from a wall separating the kitchen from the living room, but we were the only people in the house. Gordon's theory was that the likely culprit was the central heating system that hadn't been turned on in a while. Then Lucy nervously revealed that she had seen a dark mist across the living room, followed by a six-foot-tall shadow of a man disappearing into the wall. Gordon put this down to self-induced sleep deprivation, although Bill has subsequently confirmed that Carol has witnessed the monk passing back and forth between number 30 and her house next door. Also, I would be inclined to go on Gordon's side (laughs) with this because you know when you don't sleep a full night, sometimes you're not aware of what you're dreaming and what you're, you know, yeah. actually experiencing. But still, that's some spooky shit. I then had the courage to disclose something that had freaked me out. While I was dropping off to sleep, 
laying on my side, hood up, duvet over my head and in the fetal position. I felt what I truly believe to be a finger draw a circle in the middle of my back. Gross. Yes, I know I sound crazy, but there is no rational explanation for it. I said nothing and tried to sleep as I thought no one would believe me. And besides, I didn't want to cause a stampede to the comfy and safe SUV parked outside. (laughs) After sharing everything, including Delia revealing that I had had a kicking, screaming night terror, quote, that was no normal nightmare. Gordon remarked how our experiences were all witnessed by individuals and not by the group as a whole. Literally 10 seconds later, the TV turned itself off. Silence. Gordon, Mr. I have a rational explanation for everything, Mm -hmm. impatiently asked who had the remote, only to discover that it was on the mantelpiece behind him. He tried to turn the TV back on, only to find that it wasn't on standby or on a timer. It had been turned off at the wall. Oh. We decided it was time to leave as we felt we'd overstayed our welcome. Correct. So Gordon fully admits that he is no longer a skeptic. Oh, good. Yeah, I love stories like that. I'm like, ah, mm-hmm. ah, it's all right. You're one of us now. Like I've been saying, I've tried to include all the major things for me. And this is linked with Bill. And this is kind of Bill's section in my notes. I don't want this to feel rushed because I've clearly taken a lot of time anyway doing it. But this case is almost too well documented so that every little thing is written into this book or the website mm-hmm. on 30 So we can literally talk for months and I'm definitely skipping a lot. But right now I'm going to read from the book again. We are coming towards the end. Don't worry. Actually, on the website, I think the list of occurrences mm-hmm. is currently at like 288. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And like some of them are, you know, Carol felt a cold wind. Oh. Or, you know, but other ones are as detailed as the one that I just read. Mm-hmm. One day, Bill walked into the house unannounced to find Darren from the house next door, Carol's partner, kneeling on the living room floor, swearing and grumbling under his breath. Scattered around him all across the carpet were pieces of a jigsaw puzzle that Bill had purchased at a local charity shop. The rub was that the puzzle box had been sealed with sellotape when he had bought it, and it was still sealed now. Does this sound familiar? Yes. Remember the Sally house? Well, yeah, the eggs, shit. Remember the Sally house with the doll? Yeah. It had just appeared outside Mm -hmm. of the box. So it appeared that Fred had somehow managed to transport the pieces out of the box without actually opening it. The tape running around the rim of the box was completely undisturbed, which was more than could be said for Bill and Darren. (laughs) A frustrated Darren ripped the side of the box away in Bill's presence and returned the missing pieces. He didn't bother sealing it up again. After all, what would be the point? So on Valentine's Day 2016... I love covering cases that go this close. It's like, that was literally yesterday. (laughs) But Valentine's Day 2016, Bill was visiting the house for one of his periodic inspections. Having first greeted Fred in his usual manner. Hi Fred, it's only me. Hope you're okay. Please don't freak me out. I'm not sure your landlord's heart can take it. (laughs) He then greeted the East Drive paranormal team and caretakers, busying away tidying the house for the evening's guests. He did his usual scan of the kitchen to check all was in order, then went to the kitchen sink to wash up some cups and dishes that had been left behind by some recent visitors. 
While the crockery clattered in the sink, he was thinking about the last time that he had stood at the same sink alone in the kitchen. Indeed, alone, in the entire house on this particular occasion. Performing the same mundane task when he had suddenly heard footsteps upstairs, followed by the sound of knocking coming from the kitchen cabinet to his lower left, as if someone or something was inside the cupboard. The knocking began mere seconds after the footsteps had abated. After a few moments had passed, Bill suddenly got the strangest sensation that he wasn't alone in the room, that there was actually somebody behind him, perhaps Carol, Darren, or one of the team had snuck into the kitchen, but then again, perhaps not. In a scene that wouldn't have been out of place in a horror movie, he turned his head slowly, his imagination half expecting to see the black monk standing there as once experienced by Gene Pritchard on exactly the same spot four decades earlier. But instead of a dreamt up fictional Hollywood moment, something truly extraordinary and real happened instead. A small object popped into existence in midair to the left of the folded dining room table and came flying through the air in a ballistic arc, heading directly toward Bill's face. He flinched, certain that the object, whatever it was, was going to smack him right between the eyes, but it veered off slightly at the last moment, changing course fractionally in midair and caroming, caroming, caroming off the kitchen window before bouncing off the draining board and clattering onto the kitchen floor. Shocked by his close call, Bill uttered a few choice, but unprintable, words and bent down to examine the projectile. It was a small, wooden domino. Everyone else in the house came to see what had happened, and Bill was stood there trying to rationalise, like, was it them? Are they playing a trick on me? But he was literally holding tangible evidence in his hand he still has the domino to this day Mm -hmm. after like when he kind of got his wits back about him he thanked fred openly for giving it to him and for letting him see what he was capable of fred took this as an invitation Uh uh-oh for the next like two hours fred bombarded bill with various toy themed objects such as a marble that fell through the ceiling and hit the piano so hard that it chipped the wood. I just hit myself in the face with my hair. That Does that hurt. feel like a marble falling from the ceiling? <laughs> you can relate. I was just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an idiot. All right, continue. But then later on, as Bill was in Diane's room, three screws shot down from the ceiling, passing so close on either side of his head that he actually felt them. So it was at this point that Bill kind of started to get like really freaked out he was like oh shit this this thing could have pierced my ear (laughs) like yeah he also had a ball appear in midair as carol was talking to him this ball just appeared over her left shoulder and just hit him right between the eyes that's crazy how everything just happened immediately after he said that yeah because it normally doesn't happen that way which kind of goes back to the whole power of suggestion with fred Mm. right or at least i kind of took it that way you know Mm mm-hmm Then, later that day, quote, The mood was light and there was a lot of laughter as they discussed Fred's various pranks and tricks that afternoon, with everyone enjoying the fact that Bill had been the target of all the activity, activity that was all too familiar to Carol and her group. Bill was blown away by what he had witnessed. Perhaps it's love, one of the team remarked. It was Valentine's Day, after all. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, there was a little pop. 
followed by the sound of something light and plastic hitting the floor through the open doorway that led into the kitchen. What was that? came a chorus from the front room. Carol climbed out of her favourite seat, the armchair in the corner of the front room, to go and investigate and found that her young granddaughter had just wandered in through the front door in search of her grandmother and was stood sinking her teeth into a brightly coloured polystyrene orange. It's a decorative fruit. Okay. Don't bite that, sweetheart, Carol said, gently taking the fake piece of fruit from her granddaughter's hand. It's not a real orange. Where did you get it from? The man in black gave it to me, Nana. Oh. So that brings me to Carol. Okay, now this is definitely the last section of this. The whole reason why we even got into this subject was because of Carol. Okay. I had heard about this story or read about it in passing in like, you know, one of those little books. Actually, it might have been that one of the books I like stole from the school library Mm -hmm. when I was like in elementary school, you know. Obviously, I didn't know the whole ins and outs of it and all that. And at that point, Carol wasn't even a factor. Like, I don't think she was even living there anyway. So it was always kind of sat in the back of my mind. Like, oh, yeah, I'll get around to doing it. Like, it was on our list. And then we watched an episode of Nuke's Top 5, or one of his videos, episode, whatever. And she was in it. So Carol's that lady walking through the house. Yeah. That's Carol. That's Carol. So Carol Fieldhouse, she's lived there for years now. And like we mentioned earlier. Next door, though. Sorry, yeah. She's lived next door for years now. And like we mentioned earlier, she's a sensitive or a medium or whatever you want to call them. But now she and her husband are more or less caretakers for the house since Jean moved out. And even now are even more involved with the upkeep for Bill. Mm -hmm. I also think she's a part of like the local paranormal team. She has had more than her fair share of experiences. and. Thanks to Nukes Top 5, uh, we were able to watch some of her old live streams. Now, in Nukes Top 5, obviously, he's edited it because Carol is quite a colorful character. Yeah. I've never heard people use the swear words that she actually used. Yeah. I think that's why I liked it so much. It's like, oh, you bastard. But anyway, I've since found the full version of at least one of these live streams. And Dulce and I are going to watch the whole thing right now. So Carol has done live streams in the house. Several. Okay. Well, I don't know how many exactly, but like the one that we watched was just for her friends, I think. Okay. Or like, you know, her Facebook friends. Yeah. And like, pretty sure she's an older lady. Wouldn't be like fucking streaming on Twitch every week or anything like that, you know? What's crazy to me is the way that you describe her. It's almost like. She doesn't seem like the person that I see in the video because in your stories, she just seems like um, the mystic, the mystic. Yeah, exactly. Where she she's just like those the ladies that say it's very cryptic things. Yeah. Very um, ambiguous and stoic, not easily swayed by emotion or scared because she's so aware of what's going on. When you see the videos. It's the complete opposite. She reacts like a normal human. She's like, I don't twat and move. <laughs> she she's very it she's very scared. Yeah, yeah. And even it's... even though if she she may even if she does know what's going on or knows or sees the black monk, she is very scared. Yeah, and it's hilarious though. But look, this house is fucking insane with activity. 
It's been featured on so many different shows and YouTube channels. I personally think now the fact that it's like being fed energy by so many different individuals is why it's still so active. You know, maybe anyway, and who knows? Like it's been active again for almost 15 years, Mm -hmm. as far as I can tell. Like Jean moved herself into the retirement home because the activity started back up again. Okay. So that's what one of the stories said. Anyway, it was like, you know what? I'm too old for this bollocks. I'm getting out of here. But if you are interested in this subject, read these books. Like this one in particular, The Black Monk of Pontefract. Um, I'll have everything linked down below. Go on the website, 30eastdrive.com. Spend an afternoon on YouTube looking up all the different stories. Anybody can stay there now. So anybody is going in and making YouTube videos of and having their own experiences and stuff. But like I said, all this activity might just stop out of the blue one day, like it did in 1968. Yeah. You know, I, as far as I can tell, it was quiet for like 30, 40 years. Uh-huh. And now all of a sudden, it's again one of the most active houses in the fucking world. Before I go on anymore, they have like had different mediums in and blah, blah, blah. And some of the stories... I think these books are just staying on the safe side of um, skepticism and oh. accuracy. Yeah, like the fact that the black monk thing can't be proven mm-hmm. and it's very similar to the story of the vicar and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I just heard on another podcast, quite unusual, because we were talking earlier on today. Shout out if they ever hear this. Definitely go and check them out. They just covered it. That's why we got talking. And they were telling the story of the black monk but in their version that the version that they had read like the monk was actually covering for his brother or his brother had committed the crime and the monk was framed for it Ah. this kind of story yeah and even they said there's different variations of that Mm -hmm. but they've come up with this other entity now called emma Mm -hmm. and they reckon this is the one girl who was murdered and supposedly her body was thrown in the well Okay. So in the video, when we hear Carol talk about Emma, mm-hmm. it's the girl who was supposedly murdered by the black monk. Interesting. I don't think there's any. Di- I think there's just one big strong energy in this house. Okay. And they're just personifying. Anyway. So that's all. That's also likely. Yeah, and as again, just my theory. I am as sensitive as a fucking doorknob, so <laughs> I will never be able to tell you the answer. I also wouldn't be surprised if. This Fred entity could just show up as a little girl, considering this whole power of suggestion theory from earlier. But yeah, so what I'm going to do right now is, and this is different for, well, we just haven't done it before. Dulce and I are going to watch this whole video because it's funny and we really like this lady, Carol. Yeah. And I'm going to chop it up and leave some of our favorite bits at the end after the, after our credits. After our outro song. So if you want to hear how she sounds, hold on till after the outro music. But just beware if you're listening around kids or anything, if you think we swear bad, this lady is like a fucking pirate. She's a rock star. It's great. Um, and yeah, that's the Black Monk of Pontefract. All right. I'm sorry this was so long. Like, I think that's a good to four hours worth of fucking material. And I literally didn't even finish the second book. There is so much shit <laughs> yeah well i mean yeah it's active and it's been there forever yeah i mean 
literally the house is what 60 years old now mm. and there's diff- so many different people have had experiences there and it's so well documented like it's amazing but anyway do yourself a favor go on youtube spend the day nick groff um from ghost adventures what's a mm-hmm. paranormal lockdown i think mm-hmm. apparently their episode there was fucking really cool haven't watched it yet most haunted did an episode and for some reason in the book they're like we don't take their side there's like some controversy between the authors of the book and most haunted but there was so much activity while they were trying to set up for the episode that they had to release two episodes oh cool yeah and i've watched the before and it's so fucking cool but like that i think because carol and bill weren't there mm-hmm. they couldn't put their word to what happened so maybe yeah. that's where the controversy is i don't know anyway do yourself the favor go check it out read the book go on the website uh one more time my references are actually facebook for the video but like that i'll have the video linked in the description the black monk of pontefract the world's most violent and relentless poltergeist by richard Eastep and bill bungay Poltergeist, a classic study in destructive haunting by Colin Wilson, 30eastdrive.com and newscientist.com. So yeah, anyway, that's it. That's all I have. I can't fucking keep reading this book. Dulce's going to leave me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we sincerely hope you enjoyed. And yeah, do all the shit. Leave us a nice review, please. Follow us on Instagram. If you want to hear us look at the pictures. Join the Patreon. Join the Patreon. Yeah, hopefully next week we'll be able to do that or probably the week after. Loads of bonus content on there. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter. That's our cat scratching at the door. That means it's time to go. I told Leanne that I farted while we were recording and he was like, leave it in, leave it in. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. Um, So yeah, there you go, guys. Um, Yeah, thanks again, KDW, for being our patron of the week. Yeah, this is for you. Yeah, and... We're you sorry. Any, you, got <laughs> you got anything else to add? Nope. Yeah, me neither. All right, thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Okay, everyone. Here we go. Lights out. And quite honestly, I'm, I've just been for a week because I'm afraid I'm going to wee myself. I'm not going to look in myself, though. What was that? Shit. What the hell was that? Oh! What? God, can't scare me, you bastard. I'm coming. Sorry for swearing, people. Someone's just moved up. Oh, oh, the fucking hell. Okay, Fred, if this is you, piss off. (laughs) Right, you stop bloody banging, your cow. I'm coming up. You're not scaring me. Hello, Pauline. I'm shitting myself. Emma, if you're in there, can you open my door, please? What the fuck was that? Fuck that. Fuck that. I'm off the top of the stairs. Fuck it. Fuck it. Fuck Come on, Kelly. You've been in here a thousand fucking times. Come on. I've been to the toilet, I will tell you. But it's the other end that's coming out. Some stupid person. Fucking hell, fucking hell. Someone's just come up the back of me. Fucking door. Bollocks. I want to go back down now, seriously, in a dead twatting move. Ah! Fucking hell. Oh, I don't want me, mum, because she's an ass, but there you go. <laughs> fucking hell. Oh, I'm going to shit me sin. 
This is not funny. I'm going to sit on the fucker. I am shitting it. Donny Osmond. What the shit was that? Oh, I hope you're all finding this fucking funny. I am shitting it here, I'm telling you. What the fucking hell was that? Oh, shit, 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 shit. I can't get away, can't get away. That's it, I'm going to have to go. I'm going home. I'll see you all later. Bye.